Hello, and welcome to Returning to Us, a podcast that gives you strategies and tips for how to hack your brain, build and strengthen relationships, and to teach people how to recognize and neutralize their emotional states. I'll discuss emotional intelligence and regulation, how food and exercise impact the body and brain, and share lessons from my own lived experiences. I'm Lauren Spiegelmeyer, the founder of The Behavior Hub, which is an organization that works to reduce the stressors of raising and educating children through a brain and biology-based lens. In these episodes, I'll share stories and strategies from my own life, work, and research, answer listener questions, and wrap it up with a try-it-at-home tip. Decades worth of information in just minutes. You ready? Today, we are talking about probably one of my favorite things, and it's going to flow into a series because if I talk about it all today, I will lose you all very quickly, but it's the brain and particularly the parts of the brain that relate most to emotions and behavior. Quite frankly, I think that the brain qualifies as one of the seven wonders of the world. I know there are usually places, but... The thing is so unbelievable. We think we know so much about the brain, but we actually know so little, which is so fascinating. It's such, such complex thing. The most complex thing on this planet. So that being said, let's jump into the most complex thing on this planet. <laughs> All right, over the next three episodes, we are going to talk about three parts of the brain. We're going to talk about the prefrontal cortex, the limbic system, and the brainstem. So in brief, and I'm going to go into all of these in more detail in the next couple of episodes, but in brief, here's what they are. The prefrontal cortex, which we'll go into to today, is commonly referred to as the wise owl, or maybe for teens, you would say it's the upstairs brain, but it is the cerebral thinking, problem-solving part of the brain. The limbic system is like your emotional control center. And on the next episode, we'll talk about things in the limbic system and what this means for behavior and emotion, all that stuff. And then you've got the brainstem, which is the part that controls this flow of information between the brain and the entire body. And it's related to this fight, flight, freeze, fawn, impulsive responses, but we will save that for a few episodes down the road. So let's go ahead and jump into the prefrontal cortex. So that is the part of the brain that is directly behind the eyes and the forehead, so the front part of your head brain. And this, the brain in general, especially this part, is known to develop from top to bottom um, and back to front. So your prefrontal cortex is the final part of the brain to develop. That said, <laughs> when we are having reactions to something, whether they be emotional or sensory oriented, it will be processed by your brain based on how your brain was developed. It's kind of more bottom up processing first, and then it will land in prefrontal cortex. So it kind of comes in through your senses, goes to older parts of the brain, and then lands back in the prefrontal cortex if and when it is safe. So that also means that since the thinking brain, since the prefrontal cortex was the last part of our brain to develop, it is the part that is hardest to access and emotion will override that. So uh, 
that's why kids, especially young kids, sometimes don't have those complex decision-making skills or those emotional control control skills that adults have because they just haven't developed a part of the brain yet. I mean, the brain is really developing until the twenties. Sometimes some people not even until the thirties, is it more solidified? So in those first couple of years, the emotional parts are really developing. And then you start to develop into middle school, high school, and more of that logic, more of that reason, more of that prefrontal cortex, that impulse control. And then you get into your, your twenties and late twenties and you can act with more rationality. So have grace for yourself and your kids when there are breakdowns because their brains just aren't that developed yet. But there are some things that we can do to get there and get closer to developing. So we'll talk about that in a second. But this part of the brain is divided into kind of two sides, left and right. Left side is focused more on goals, um, positive approaches, emotions, like higher order emotions, not quite your basic emotions. And it carries more dopamine receptors. And those are associated with motivation and reward. But the right side is more geared towards negative emotions and avoidance. So it contains more norepinephrine receptors and is really uh, found to be associated with thoughts and feelings of, of things like anxiety. But we need to know the important part is that the the thinking brain, the um, wise owl, the prefrontal cortex is the think tank, is responsible for our learning, our concentration, our focus, our listening, all the things we want kids to do. And that's why we call it our wise owl. We call it the wise owl because it's the thinking brain and it solves problems and it thinks rationally. Um, for teens, maybe a little too childish. So you could say upstairs brain. Um, and it, helps us once we grow and strengthen that part of our brain, helps us to better respond and react to emotions. Because when our bodies and our brains, our, our emotional brains are calm, we can then access the prefrontal cortex or the thinking brain, which will enable us to reason, um, think more positive, think more clearly, solve problems. And as a result, we can control our impulses and focus on regulating our emotions. But if our emotional brain overrides our thinking brain, then the body and the brain is just focused on um, dealing with those emotions. So we don't have access to that logic and reason. So when you're trying to tell a child who is having a major breakdown to calm down, it is not going to work. And here's why. Communication lives in the prefrontal cortex. If they're stuck in their emotional brain, the limbic area, they can't access their communication. They can't access logical thought and reason. So telling them to calm down is useless because they can't even hear you. What we want to do instead is we want to co-regulate or just kind of model ways that we uh, would like them to calm down. So breathing, touch, movement, appropriate touch, calming touch, usually in the arms, some, some deeper pressure, a hug, things like that kids down. It will also set some kids off because they aren't used to that type of calming mechanism. So you might need to try a couple of things to get there first. But your point here is to stay calm. When they are upset, you stay calm. They catch your calm. But that takes you staying in your thinking brain and not falling into your emotional brain. So that can be really, really tough. So in a couple of weeks, I am going to show you and explain to you a hand signal that really breaks down the parts of the brain. And it comes from Dan Siegel's work and in, in Georgetown University, but it talks about this barking dog and this wise owl and how to teach young kids about this and why it's important to teach young kids about this. And I think that 
on a very basic level, we can break down this neuroscience and we can teach kids about their brain, or at least these three elements of their brain, because if they understand these elements and they understand these parts of the brain and how they work, they're going to have a lot more motivation to do the things we want them to do. Because if we understand the why behind things, we, we get, uh, we get it and we are more motivated to use the things versus someone just telling us to do something takes away all of our control. And that just triggers us to fall back into our emotional brain. So I'm going to keep this episode a little bit shorter today because there's a lot of science information. These next couple episodes will probably be a little bit shorter, but your prefrontal cortex is also known as your wise owl, as your upstairs brain. It is the brain that holds logic and reason and thought and communication, and it is later developing, so it's harder to access, especially when we are upset. So we do want to do some things to strengthen our thinking brain. Uh, so that we don't keep falling into our emotional brain. So what are some of those things that we can do to strengthen the thinking brain so that we can stay in the thinking brain? Well, think about anything that requires us to slow down. That slower thinking, that slower processing, which is really hard for kids who are impulsive, move fast, and are stuck in their emotional brains. But yoga, stretching, meditation, mindfulness, all of those things help us to slow down. So can we integrate some of those on micro levels? I know I think like some kids like, oh my gosh, my kid could never meditate. My kid could never do mindfulness activity. All of that stuff is too slow. You can start to introduce to them in micro doses, meditation, mindfulness, stretching, yoga. They don't need to go through a whole class. And that's, you know, it's ironic because I went to a Qigong class this weekend. And it was a 60 minute class and I have done Qigong a couple of times. And for those of you who aren't familiar, it is a, it was like a feminine, slow moving martial arts. It's kind of based in self-defense. And, uh, I took a friend along and she'd never done it before. And we left and she's like, that was awful. Like I was so bored and I couldn't focus. And there was just so much slow moving and so much breathing. And I will never go and get it. And I hated it. And I thought to myself, <laughs> how ironic, because when you feel that way, what it's actually telling us is you need that more. The slowing down and your mind racing and not feeling good is a sign that you need that even more because it slows your mind down. And I told her, I wouldn't necessarily say that I love going or I look forward to going. I mean, I don't hate it for sure. Um, I wouldn't do it, but <laughs> it's not easy for me either. Like I go there, my mind's thinking about other things and I have to bring myself back to the present uh, or the present. And it sometimes is like, when is this class over? <laughs> but I do it because I understand the brain. I understand the benefits of the slow moving and the breathing and that motivates me to do it. So my point to her was, I think it's a good practice for you. Do I think a 60 minute class is a good practice for you? Absolutely not. You haven't worked up the tolerance and the patience for this yet. So I think like a three minute practice, even a one minute practice is a great place to start. Like one or two Qigong moves and that's it. And you do that and success. And then the next day you add another one or the next week you add another one, whatever it is, but you start really slow with just a couple minutes add a couple more minutes, add a couple more minutes. The problem is most of our yoga classes, most of our Qigong, Tai Chi, all these things, they're usually like 60 minute long sessions. So they're hard for people to buy into because they can't last that long when they're just starting out. So try to find something of a program that 
maybe you can do on your own or you can do with your kids on, on your own. So you don't do the whole thing. Like there are short little yoga sequences that are five minutes or 10 minutes. You can, you can find them online on YouTube. Um, and same with Tai Chi, Qigong, find, find the shorter options or just play part of the session or go to part of the class, um, whatever it may be. But don't force yourself to stick it out through the whole thing. If, if something really doesn't feel good, pay attention to your body, pay attention to kids' bodies. But the point here is start really small. So meditation, mindfulness, stretching, yoga, integrate those things into your daily life. Do them every day for yourself and with and for your kiddos and start small, 30 seconds, a minute, and that's a success and build upon that. And as you do that, as you do these daily practices and you work on these skills preventatively, it is like a muscle. It is your prefrontal cortex. is like a muscle. It's strengthening it. It's growing it. It's like going to the gym consistently or eating healthier. You get healthier, you get stronger. So it takes time and it's not something you really see too easily. You would see it if we did a brain scan, but who's got time and money for that. So just know there's not enough science based on this, that it is going to help you. It's not necessarily going to see dramatic results initially. It takes time. Um, all good things take time. So trust the science and um, do your best to try and, and practice these things so that we can preventatively keep ourselves and our kids from falling into that emotional brain and help them to stay into their thinking brain, stay in their thinking brain. Okay. That's enough about brain talk. Woof. Wowza. Let's go to our listener question, which is how do we, I'm guessing this is an educator, balance social emotional practices and academics? Because this person, I remember this question, felt really important, felt it really important to integrate social emotional practices, but they're not always embedded into our curricula. So what do we do when academics is the focus? And my, my thoughts are, I know we have all this pressure to get the academic content in and we, we can't, that's out of our locus of control. So we have to do it. So where can you, much like we just talked about, integrate social emotional practices on micro levels, like a minute or two here, can it happen during transitions? Can it happen in the morning? Can it happen in the afternoon? Can it happen during lunch? Can it happen after recess? Like when can we both model and or teach these practices on a micro dosage level. And think about those preventative things. How can you integrate mindfulness, meditation, yoga, stretching, uh, any of those things on a very, very small level to start to strengthen uh, the prefrontal cortex and to do it as a daily, daily habit. So my advice would be to pick an area, pick one area, pick a really small dosage of it and pick a time of day and do it every day with your group. And once that becomes a sequence and a ritual and a habit, either extend it out, make it longer, or add another practice somewhere else in your day and start to, to keep building upon that. And it would just become habitual and you wouldn't have to think about it. So it doesn't need to be a whole separate curriculum. It doesn't need to be a whole separate time, but small doses and, and nothing else, just model it, model the practices yourself during the day, because that alone is going to help uh, kids' brains be exposed and to remember them, those practices. Okay. Let's wrap this baby up. I'm going to share with you my try at home tip, which is to eat something flavorful. Ironically enough, it is a mindfulness practice to eat something really flavorful and use all your senses to attune to the flavors, textures, tastes of that really flavorful thing. So I think like for me, a good one is like fruit or something really crunchy. I mean, even I don't encourage the eating of candy, but uh, they're yum earth. Yum earth is a brand. They make these like real fruit licorice pieces. I am not a licorice fan, but I love these yum earth snacks. And I think 
part of it is the texture. It's the flavor. It's so incredibly chewy. Like it's way more chewy than standard licorice. So there's that de-stressing that comes from my jaw having to really chew that up. Um, and the, the sweetness really hits a lot of sensations in my mouth. So eating those really is de-stressing for me. It's, uh, is, and can be a mindfulness practice. If I slow down enough to actually go through like touching and chewing and tasting those things. So if nothing else, when you're eating, just be more attuned and mindful about your food and all the senses around it. And that will be a mindfulness practice that will help to strengthen your prefrontal cortex. All right. That's it for today's episode of Retreating Test Podcast. Don't forget to try to home tip. Eat something flavorful. And if you would like me to answer one of your burning questions on a future show, email me at podcast at thebehaviorhub.com or send a text to 717-693-7744. And lock in what you learned today right away by applying it. It's the best way to keep it in your brain and store it as a memory. How do you do this? You can either leave a review, you can leave a comment. What's your biggest takeaway? And, or what are you going to take away from this and try right away? What's your plan of action? And don't forget to subscribe to future episodes to learn more ways to hack your brain. Until next episode, I am Lauren Spiegelmeyer, and thank you for joining me.